0: This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to be with you. It is March 6th, 2023. All right, quick weather check for those of you who care. Yes, it is still freezing cold here in Southern California, um, though I don't think that we're an anomaly at this point. The storms that are causing chaos here in Southern California are just heading across the country once they're done with us, and I feel like all of you are experiencing the same thing, right? crazy weather in your neck of the woods, whether it's thunderstorms, flooding, tornadoes, excessive snow, freezing rain, you name it, I think we're all getting it. We're just all experiencing this together for some reason. So just another piece of the new normal that we're all having to adjust to apparently. So wherever you're at this morning, whatever it looks like outside your window, glad you're here with us and I'm glad you've decided to join me for another episode of the podcast. Let's dive into the minute of transparency. I'm going to call this one Lost in a Good Book. So, do you consider yourself a reader? To this day, I'm not really sure if I would consider myself one or not. Prior to high school, definitely not. Uh, When I was growing up, books were something that you were basically forced to read at school. They were those dusty old things that were boring and they kept you from doing the things that you really wanted to be doing, right? I was an outdoorsy kind of kid, always playing in the yard, riding my bike around through town, always looking for like physical and active things to do. Now, I do remember my mom taking us to the library in Powell, Wyoming every now and then. Uh, She would take us there and she would tell us to pick out three or four books to take home and read. And because I wasn't a fan My choices shouldn't surprise you. I basically checked out graphic novels, comic books, basically things that didn't have a lot of words. I still remember that Calvin and Hobbes was high on my list. I think I had read every single one of them, Uh, probably checked them out multiple times. But this isn't really reading, right? That didn't happen until I entered high school, or actually midway through high school. I think it was summer between my junior and senior year. I went to a boarding academy, and I decided that I was going to stay there during the summer to work. Uh, I had a fun job. I got to drive a forklift at a warehouse, and it just seemed easier to stay and work instead of going home and trying to find a new job at home. My roommate, Eric, was a big reader. He always had a paperback novel in his hand, and he would tell me tall tales about some of the stories that he had read. I can't remember if it was one of these stories that he summarized for me that got me interested, or if he just flat out handed me a book and said, hey, you really need to read this. But for whatever reason, uh, that summer I read my first novel. Um, It was written by Stephen R. Donaldson. Uh, It was a two-book series called Mordant's Need. Book one was The Mirror of Her Dreams, and book two was A Man Rides Through amazing books. Like it just opened me up to a whole new world of what a book could be. I mean, don't get me wrong. It took me forever to get into the rhythm of reading. I was so slow at first, but it's not like I eased myself into reading. I mean, book one was over 650 pages. And I think book two came in at a whopping 940 pages. So these were really big. These were like epic stories. And I could tell that Eric was a way faster reader than me, but I didn't let it stop me. I kept applying myself, and after a while, it started to feel normal. And after a while, there was no way I was going to put that book down. The author had me hooked. To this day, it remains one of my favorite series. I went on to read uh, Donaldson's sci-fi series called The Gap Cycle, Equally Compelling, And over the years, I've read many books from authors like Stephen King, Raymond Feist, uh, Michael Crichton, Cassandra Clare, and the list just goes on and on. So on the one hand, I guess I should call myself a reader. But on the other hand, I'm really not. I mean, some people just take it to a whole other level. Case in point, my oldest daughter. So... Allie was a reader from the day she was born, I feel like. Uh, She didn't go for the cartoons or the comics or the graphic novels. She went straight for the hard stuff, and she never looked back. Uh, Her favorite store to hang out in was Barnes & Noble, right? She could sit there for hours and would typically come home with more than one new book to add to her collection. To me, she's the perfect example of a reader, right? And it makes my efforts pale in comparison. But I digress. How much we read isn't really what I wanted to highlight in this minute of transparency. I titled it Lost in a Good Book because it's really the lost part that fascinates me. Um, How I can start reading and before you know it, I'm in this whole other world, totally immersed in the environment that the author has created. I become oblivious to the world around me. And all I see is the story that I'm now a part of. Time becomes irrelevant, real time that is. Because it's the timeline in the story that becomes important. It's the countdown on a dirty bomb. It's the time remaining before the train comes around the corner and the protagonist will be crushed on the tracks. It's the time that it takes to find an antidote that will save the poisoned love interest. All of those things and so much more. And isn't it strange that when we come to a stopping point, right, when you put the book down, you realize three hours have gone by in real time. People are walking around doing things, and you wonder to yourself, what happened when I was gone? Our topic for today is transcending tunnel vision, and when I started to look for a minute of transparency, this seemed to be a great illustration. Not that the two are the same, but the feeling that you get when you're lost in a good book might just be a good illustration of tunnel vision, a condition that we can find ourselves in from time to time. So today's topic, transcending tunnel vision. Chapter one, entering a tunnel, and chapter two, exiting the tunnel. Chapter one, entering a tunnel. So this topic is one that I have had on my list uh, for potential episodes for a really long time. Literally, every time I go in to start a new episode, I see it on the list and I'm like, I'm really not 100% sure why I added that one. I don't remember what I wanted to talk about. So I skip it. I move on to another topic. But every time I got into my list to look for the next topic, I would see it and I would wonder, what was that I was going to talk about? So this weekend, I just went for it. I pulled it off the list, I dusted it off, and I decided to figure it out in real time. And what I found is something new. I mean, the concept of tunnel vision didn't change, but when I went with it, it surprised even me. But before we get into that, let's define tunnel vision. So, interestingly enough, there's a medical condition called tunnel vision a real diagnosable condition, Uh, according to medicalnewstoday.com, tunnel vision or peripheral vision loss, PVL, is a result of the loss of peripheral sight or side vision. A person with PVL can only see what is directly in front of them. This can occur due to conditions that affect the eye or other health conditions. This condition can be caused by a variety of different things, and it can be temporary or permanent. But this isn't the tunnel vision that I'm interested in, even though it has overlap. Dictionary.com has three definitions for tunnel vision. The first is what we just talked about the medical condition. But it's really the second and the third that I want to focus on. So, definition number two the tendency to look at things from only one point of view. So, this would include issues like being prejudiced or narrow mindedness. And definition number three, a fixation on only one objective or course of action. Now that's more like it. That's the tunnel vision that we're talking about today. It's when we start to look at things through only one lens, when we become hyper-focused on something at the expense of everything else around us. Kind of like being lost in a good book, right? So chapter one is called Entering a Tunnel for a Reason. Notice I use the word a instead of the, entering a tunnel versus entering the tunnel. Because it's important to understand that there isn't just one tunnel that we get stuck in. There are a myriad of tunnels that at any point that we can find ourselves stuck in. And it's important to understand that it may not be the same tunnel that others around us are in, right? This is the tunnel that we chose to drive through. Now, I'm not going to try to define every possible tunnel that a person can get caught up in. But I think I can come up with the list of popular tunnels, right? Tunnels that have thousands, if not millions of people driving through them at any given point in time. So let's start there. Here are just a few of the tunnels that we get caught in from time to time. Starting with the me tunnel. So this one should be fairly obvious, right? We all know someone who thinks the world revolves around them. And unfortunately, there are times when we have thought the same thing. Getting caught in this tunnel shifts our entire focus inward. It's all about me. How do I feel right now? What can I get? How can people help me get where I want to go? When we get caught in this frame of mind, we stop looking outward or upward. Two things we'll talk a bit more about later. But for now, just understand that this is one of the most popular tunnels that exist. Next, we have the faith tunnel. Now, before I go any further, hear me say this. There is nothing wrong with faith. There is nothing wrong with religion. And there is nothing wrong with spirituality. In fact, without these things, who knows where we would be in society. But as with everything else, even a good thing can become a bad thing at times. Why do you think deconstruction has become so popular these days? Because people caught up in the faith tunnel can lose perspective. It can become all about their religion, all about the liturgy, all about the unique brand of religion that they are, at the expense of everything else. Mark Driscoll is a really good example of how this works. Here's how he spoke about the people at his church back at Mars Hill in Seattle. There is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. By God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. Either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. Now, if that isn't a verbal confession of tunnel vision, I'm not sure what would be. Religion has always been one of the most traveled tunnels, from mainstream religions all the way up to full-on cults that have a high level of authoritarian control. And it can be very difficult to get out of both, both literally and cognitively. Next, we have the deconstruction tunnel. So I just wanted to throw this one in because it's the yin to the yang that we just talked about, right? It's the peanut butter to the jelly. Just as there can be tunnel vision in our religious or spiritual beliefs, so too we can experience tunnel vision around deconstructing it. On some level, deconstruction can become the next religion that we join, the other religion, right? It's just the next tunnel that we choose to live in. And if we aren't careful, we start viewing the world through that lens and only that lens. And many people go all the way, right? They throw the baby out with the bathwater moving to the other end of the spectrum, becoming agnostic or atheist, and really making that their religion in some form or fashion. Now, I don't want to paint deconstruction in and of itself as a tunnel. I see deconstruction more as a process, a phase that people may go through in order to make sense of the things that they were brainwashed to believe growing up. A healthy process that should move them to a more healthy place in their life but it can also become a tunnel, right? We can get stuck in that process and begin to view it as what defines us. I'm a deconstructionist. I'm deconstructing. And if we get too far down that tunnel, we can close ourselves off to all sorts of things that would be helpful to us and help us grow and mature into the person that we should be. Next up, the political tunnel. Again, this should be an obvious one, right? Since 2020, it is played out right in front of us on a national scale. People digging in their heels, creating an us-versus-them atmosphere. Political polarization is the buzzword, right? And if you watch the news or spend any time on social media, it's one of the main topics of conversation. Are you a conservative or are you a liberal? You don't even hear the word moderates used these days because people are either far-right fascists or left-leaning socialists. And both are out to destroy the country, right? Right. At least that's what we're told. Each side has the truth, and the opposing side is the epitome of evil. But remember, we're in a tunnel. When you dive too far into this world, you enter a tunnel, and your vision becomes impaired. Like a laser, your vision goes from wide to narrow, a thin, focused beam of light, only seeing the rigid set of beliefs right in front of you. Typically, the beliefs that your party says are the right beliefs. And every other train of thought is wrong, deadly wrong, life-ending wrong, world-ending wrong. See how that could impact your life? See how that could influence the way that you treat people? See how that could influence the way that you experience the world around you? Whether you experience joy or peace or happiness or contentment on any level, it's a very slippery slope, to be sure. Next, we have the environmental tunnel. Now, I'm throwing this one in there simply because our world feels like it's on fire. Not just religiously and politically, but naturally. The Earth itself feels like it's going through an identity crisis. Our natural world, largely because of the way that we're treating it, from the environmental disasters like oil spills, train derailments, gas trucks crashing and exploding, to the big ones like nuclear power plants in Ukraine being bombed by the Russians, I mean, do we really need another Chalk River or another Chernobyl? And think of all the atomic and nuclear testing that we've done in the past, setting off bombs in rural areas of our country or over the ocean or under the water just to see what they can do. Then you have companies like CERN with their Large Hadron Collider and the experiments that they're doing. Who knows what that's doing to the environment? Uh, I'm all for science, don't get me wrong, but there is an envelope. And when we start to push the envelope like this, We gamble just a little bit, right? We throw knowledge up against potential danger that we can't even quantify. All that to say, the earth seems to be groaning as if we've stabbed it a few times in the stomach and it's trying to heal itself, right? When you look at the changes in the weather and the severity of the storms that we're seeing, the droughts, the fires, the earthquakes, the record breaking winter storms, I mean, It's not like we've never seen this before, right? We've had seasons like this in the past. The earth always seems to ebb and flow through calm seasons and then more chaotic seasons. But it just feels like we're trending toward the severe. And less of a trend, more of a new normal when it comes to weather extremes. So why did I pull this out as a tunnel? Well, because there are people who are stuck in it, right? There are people who are paralyzed with fear because of the things we just talked about. Some come by it honestly because they were maybe they were on the receiving end of Mother Nature at some point in their life. And others, because they just get caught up in it on the outside, from the outside looking in. They develop anxieties and fears, and it's just a matter of time before it happens to them or that's what they think. It becomes the lens that they look through day in and day out yet another tunnel that we can find ourselves in these days. Next, we have the misinformation tunnel. So friends, this could be the biggest and most dangerous tunnel to date, all because of technology, right? Technology is no longer advancing in what we would call a straight line. Technology is growing exponentially. It's not a line that moves up and to the right. It's a curved line that is moving to the right, but moving upward at a much faster rate. Every year, new things are released that blow last year's stuff out of the water. We always talked about AI as future stuff, right? The stuff that sci-fi movies were made of. Until Google created the AI chatbot called Lambda, a digital personality that one of the developers believed actually had become sentient or capable of having thoughts and feelings. Then... We have AI image creators, right? That started popping up like midjourney.com, jasper.ai, photor.com, hotpot.ai, even Canva. For those of you who um, know what that is, it's basically a utilitarian platform that allows non creative people, I would say, (laughs) to create graphics, right? And they've even incorporated AI on some level into their service that they provide. Then more recently, we saw the emergence of ChatGBT. This became a game changer in and of itself, right? The ability for the AI chat platform to respond to user prompts and deliver content and information based on its vast neural network and data resources. This is opening a door that may never get closed again. As a writer, this is scary, right? Think about it. If a person can tell ChatGBT, write me a 2,000-word blog post. Make it read at the 12th grade level. Here's your topic. The Denver Broncos 2022 season, define areas where they succeeded, define areas where they failed, and draw conclusions about next year's successes and failures. And they get back a full article in less than two minutes. Where does that leave good, hardworking sports journalists, right? I was thinking about this and I was trying to come up with an illustration. And the best one that I could come up with was, um, the digital camera revolution. Think about it. Back in the day, if you were going to be a photographer, you had to have a certain level of knowledge. You had to be an expert at taking pictures, right? You had to be an expert at framing the picture in your viewfinder, taking the right thing, um, knowing how to deal with light and shadow. Uh, You had to know how to develop film. And if you were going to make money at it, you had to be good at all of these things. Then (laughs) they came out with the DSLR, And everyone could afford it. Everyone ran out, bought their, you know, mid to high level DSLR camera, took a thousand pictures because it didn't matter anymore. It wasn't like you were having to buy film. You're just snapping away. And then you could go home and you could use Photoshop or, or programs to basically fix the things that you didn't really understand about photography in the first place. Good example of, I think, where we're headed with technology But back to the tunnel of misinformation. So I went down that rabbit hole because it's the advances in technology that make misinformation so accessible to everyone, right? Whether it's a person putting misinformation out there or in the future, if it's AI curating misinformation and just regurgitating it, either way, it's still misinformation. And it will only get harder and harder in the future to determine what is true and what is not. Next, we have the social media tunnel. Now, technically, this one should live under the misinformation tunnel, but I split it out because it's big in and of itself, right? Social media has become all-encompassing for many of us. People live on it all day long. Many find that it's where they get their news. Many allow it to drive their conversations with friends throughout the day. And many people find themselves impacted emotionally by the things that they read and they see on these platforms. For me... I get more and more frustrated every day. And yet, like you, it's like I'm a deer in the headlights. I can't look away. I keep coming back, expecting that it'll get better. Only it doesn't. It actually keeps getting worse. Here's my abbreviated history of social media, starting with Facebook. So I may be naive, but I don't think Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook with an understanding of what it would become. I think it was meant to be fun. It was lighthearted. It meant to serve a purpose, right? It was basically a visual online platform for looking up and connecting with other co-eds on his college campus. Now, over the years, it has obviously changed. But I believe it started with good intentions, a product that would be helpful to people. Next, we have Twitter. I have no clue what the original intent was with Twitter. But when you allow people to post short hot takes, That's probably how it's going to be used, right? Twitter is simply a loudspeaker for people to sound off on topics that they're passionate about and to call out other people that they don't agree with. And then there's Instagram, another platform that I believe started out with the best of intentions, a way to share images, photos, art. It was so pure at the beginning, more about sharing interesting images and less about the other stuff. Eventually, it was bought out by Facebook, and we all know what happened then, right? That basically took the platform in the same direction that Facebook wanted to go. Then came Snapchat, a platform built 100% for inappropriate behavior. You'll never convince me otherwise. Send someone a picture, and it disappears after they view it. Now, when the world realized how shady that was, the company quickly pivoted and made changes so that it seemed less inappropriate. And it's still around, of course. But let's end with TikTok, right? A platform that is built for misinformation, if ever there was one. Now, I'm going to rip a lot on TikTok, but just know that it's the platform that I've been spending the most time on. It's sad, but it's true. TikTok is the only platform that I know of where the main feature isn't your feed or your content or the things that you want to see. Instead, it's what? It's the For You page. It's content that is created for you by an algorithm or potentially by AI. An algorithm that's based on your choices in content and how much of each piece of content you consume. Basically, we choose to ingest content that a computer tells us we will like. Now, the other piece to this, there's an ongoing conspiracy theory that TikTok is not just bad as a social media platform, but that it's actually dangerous, right? This is literally in the news this week. Um, Because TikTok was created by the Chinese, there is this belief that China is using TikTok not only to influence or to provide propaganda in our country, but that the platform in China is totally different, right? That TikTok in China is meant to teach, instruct, and help people become more intelligent. Now, again, just a conspiracy theory, um, but based on the content I see on my For You page, at least our our piece of the puzzle sounds legit. I can't speak for the For You pages in China. But again, this must be a very real thing because the government right now is trying to determine if TikTok should be on the phones of government employees. And that's just the first uh, thing they're trying to figure out. They're also trying to figure out if they should put some sort of stipulation or maybe... Um, you know, keep it from being used within our country altogether. Interesting stuff. But back to the topic. So why did I refer to social media as a tunnel? Well, for two reasons. First, we can get tunnel vision by simply living in the world too much of the time, living in the social media world too much of the time. Research is beginning to show just how strongly our mental health is tied to social media engagement. And number two, social media is quickly becoming a playground for misinformation, not just people posting inaccurate information, but the very real possibility that specific types of information are being pushed to us through algorithms, through AI, and basically curated in order to create a desired result in us. The next one and the last one is the apocalypse tunnel. So we're going to end with this one. See what I did there? End. Anyway, sorry, that was bad. But it feels like there's a growing sense of uneasiness in the world around us, right? People making statements like, oh my gosh, the world is falling apart. feels like it's going to end. There's something happening in the world, something ominous. Uh, There's an awakening happening, which suggests a very big change coming for us. All statements that suggest that people aren't really sure about the state of things, right? Our future isn't clear. On the one hand, we can see the world going on for hundreds and hundreds of years, but if it ended four years from now, we wouldn't be that shocked either, right? Because the world is unstable. The environment is unstable. Society feels unstable. Right now, our government feels a little unstable. So we come by it honestly. But at the same time, it's a tunnel that we can get stuck in, right? If we spend too much time focused on what's in that tunnel, we can miss out on life itself. We can choose anxiety and fear over things like life and love, right? And the things that are right in front of us each and every day. Chapter two, exiting the tunnel. So now that we've talked about common tunnels that we drive into, Uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about getting out of those tunnels. In my mind, I have the perfect illustration for this, but unfortunately, because it's a podcast, you're not going to be able to see what I'm describing. But I'm going to tell you anyways. Now, I did put a link uh, to a YouTube video in the show notes, so if you really want to go see it, you can, right? But here's the long and short of it. When we moved to California, we knew at some point that we would be making a trip to Yosemite National Park. Uh, We spent the first few years getting adjusted, doing the local sightseeing, and getting the most out of our Disneyland annual passes. But at last the time came. We made the trek up to Yosemite. And there are about a thousand things I would love to tell you about the park. But for this podcast, right, it's a tunnel that's important. A tunnel that you go through on your way into the valley. One minute you're driving on a windy road through dense forest, and the next you're in a long tunnel. And when you exit that tunnel, you see the entire valley stretched out before you, all of the major attractions right there for you to see, like El Capitan, Half Dome, Bridal Veil Falls. And of course, everyone stops to take a picture, right? The view is majestic, breathtaking. It's something that you'll never forget for the rest of your life. And that's the feeling that I want to have when it comes to my tunnel vision, I want to drive out of that tunnel and experience the life that's waiting for me right outside of my field of view, hidden only because I took a detour down a dark tunnel and I'm stuck in traffic just waiting to come out the other side. So how does this happen? How does it work, right? How can we get out of the tunnel that we're stuck in and get back into living the life that we were made to live? Not easily. Um, but here is a three-step process that might at least get us started. Step one, identify your tunnel or tunnels. You know what they say, right? Knowing is half the battle. In Alcoholics Anonymous, or AA, step one is admitting that you have a problem. And to admit that there is a problem, you have to know what it is. Every time a person stands up to talk, right, they say the same thing. Hi, my name is so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. You admit that you have a problem and you can define what that problem is. And the same goes for our tunnel vision. We need to get to the place where we understand we have a problem and we need to be able to define that problem. So here's an example. Hello, my name is so-and-so and I'm stuck in the political tunnel. It's all I think about. I spend all day surfing the internet about my political beliefs. I view everyone who doesn't believe as I do as the enemy, I feel angry all the time, and I know it isn't healthy. There's an example of identifying your tunnel. Step two, plan your escape. Now I know, the obvious answer is to drive out of the tunnel, right? But let's say that the tunnel you're in is packed with cars, and it's rush hour traffic. You're at a standstill, and it doesn't look like you're going to be moving anytime soon. So it may not be a simple fix. If you can't just drive out of the tunnel, you might need to become the action hero in your own movie. I'm picturing a Hollywood blockbuster, right, where the hero is trapped in their car in a tunnel and water is flooding the tunnel behind them. The hero gets out of the car and runs the rest of the way to the entrance of the tunnel just in time to save themselves from the rushing water behind them. In this case, the person had to think outside the box they had to do something that wasn't normal in order to remain safe. So what does that look like in our tunnel scenario, right? Pretend that you don't have the option to drive normally out of the tunnel. What other options do you have? How can you get out of your tunnel in the fastest and safest way possible? Step three, avoid tunnels in the future. So we've all heard that making the same mistake three times in a row is the definition of stupidity, right? Because after the second time, it has become a pattern, a pattern that actually suggests what will happen the third time, right? So if we fall for it the third time, shame on us. Now, if this is true, that means that we should be on the lookout for tunnels on the road ahead. Instead of finding ourselves in the tunnel, we should start to see the tunnel before we get there. And to stretch the analogy just a little bit further, If we're really good at it, we might even be able to reroute far enough in advance so that we never have to go through that tunnel. Now, ultimately, this step is best described, at least in my mind, by spiral dynamics. This is something that we've talked about a few times on the podcast. And according to spiral dynamics, as we move through the spirals or the colors, we eventually come to green. Green is the last spiral in the what is called the first-tier values or the first-tier consciousness. And green, in and of itself, is a really good place to be, right? With characteristics like egalitarian, tolerance, caring, compassion, sharing knowledge, harmonious living, being relational, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But after green comes an even more significant step. In the maturation process, right? When we move from tier one consciousness to tier two consciousness, ultimately, this means moving from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset and moving from subsistence to being. Now, I don't have time to unpack those two things, but just know that this is a, a huge change in the way that we view the world. And the first color inside of tier two consciousness is yellow. Yellow has characteristics like the ability to view all levels from above, the ability to accept change and instability, the ability to move freely between all of the lower value systems or the lower colors or spirals, living in freedom without harming others or nature, and thinking and acting from an inner directed core. Now, I know the spiral dynamic stuff gets a bit heavy, right? But in very high level terms, reaching the yellow spiral is like being able to see tunnels coming before they get there. You accept that there are people in every kind of tunnel. You understand why they're there and you don't judge them for being there. But at the same time, you're able to avoid the tunnels along the way. Now there's a lot more there to unpack, but maybe we'll do that on another episode. So for today, let's land the plane. This week, the questions are pretty simple. Question one, do you feel like you're in a tunnel? If so, name the tunnel and begin working on your evacuation route. And the last question, what would it look like for you to avoid tunnels in the future? Is there something that you can do this week to start avoiding them in the future. Well, friends, that's it for this week. Um, I hope you're doing well. Uh, Thank you again for joining me on the journey. I love having you here each and every week on the podcast. So have a great week and as always, keep transcending human.